Thanks for joining us on today's episode of I Can Even with Nat and Dar. Where two girlfriends discuss everyday topics turning unanswered dilemmas from I can't even to simply empowering I can. And we'll even bring guests. Hello and welcome back to our first official episode of I Can't Even with Nat and Dar. And today we have our guest, Oriana. Yeah, we're so excited to have you. We just want to thank you. Thank you so much. You probably can't see my face because I'm trying to speak into this voice echo chamber so my mic sounds okay. So, hello. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and you know what? Dara and I just want to thank you so much for coming on. You know, you're our first guest on our first official episode, and we're just so excited to hear from you, hear about your mental health journey, hear about all the knowledge that you've kind of accumulated with your business over the last few years. We're just so excited to have you. So if you wanted to just um, introduce yourself to our listeners a little bit um, and yeah. Oh my God. Thank you guys so much. And thank you for having me. Like I've never done a podcast before either. So <laughs> I'm just really honored to be here and just stoked to have a real talk with you guys. So um, I'm Oriana. I currently live in Toronto with my two dogs. Um, I'm also a naturopathic medical student and I run several online businesses have become sort of a mental health advocate, if you want to call it that. So I've just been using my platform to keep it real and have an open conversation about mental health and the struggles I've been going through during the pandemic. So yeah, I'm excited to chat more about about it with you guys. Awesome. Thank you. Such a beautiful introduction. So I think uh, first and foremost, something that you had mentioned that just stuck out was in the pandemic. So of course, for the last year and a half, we're actively still currently living in a pandemic. And for those of our listeners who are currently not in Ontario, my family's from Ontario, but Ontario, specifically Toronto has been in lockdown for a very long time, more long than, you know, like any specific um, city right now. So How has the pandemic affected you and your health and your plans and how are you doing? Honestly, it has been rough. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It has been possibly the worst year and now it's been over a year of my life. And that's just how it is. I mean, I don't like being negative, but I also don't like toxic optimism. So to be honest, when it first happened, I was a little bit relieved because (laughs) I had a very long commute to school. And so everything went virtual. And I was like, great, I don't have to commute three hours per day to get to and from school. This is kind of great. I don't have to do my makeup. I don't have to change out of my PJs. This is great. That lasted about two weeks. And then I just missed humans so badly. I missed having a routine in my life. I missed just having a place to go, a purpose to serve, be a student, be out and about living my life. And it just got really difficult. And as a result, I noticed that my mental health started deteriorating very, very quickly. Um, First, it was the anxiety really skyrocketed. And then my mood was just very, very low. And before I knew it, I was falling deeper and deeper into an eating disorder that I was already struggling with, but it just got exponentially worse as the pandemic went on. Um, So that's been something I've been struggling with for over a year now. And unfortunately, there are so few resources available because of the pandemic. And that has made getting treatment for an eating disorder a living nightmare. Yeah. So when you say when you say resources, what what do you mean by resources? Just so our viewers kind of understand a little bit better. Oh yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, in the past, I would sometimes go to therapy in person. I would see my psychotherapist. I would see a psychologist in person. That all went online, and it's just not the same experience when you're getting counseling virtually as opposed to in person. More than that, too, there are a lot of free treatment groups that I would go to because therapy is expensive. It's really expensive. So I would try to make use of resources. There's a place in Toronto called Sheena's Place, and they offer tons of group-based treatments that I would go in a couple times a week free of charge. That all 
went by or went virtual rather. So that again, kind of took away the in-person experience. And as for hospital programs, like if I actually wanted to look into an inpatient program or I would be hospitalized for several weeks and monitored on a meal plan, a lot of those programs have shut down. So there's no way of me getting in or if they haven't completely shut down their maximum capacity has decreased so much that the waiting lists are at least six to eight months long if not longer and so you're struggling you're trying to get on these wait lists but when you're struggling with a severe eating disorder and you're just barely making it through the day being told you can't get help for eight months that's that's crap right? Like, what are you supposed to do with that? It is so discouraging. And it's just something that really breaks my heart, because I know I'm not the only one wishing I could get help faster. No, 100%. And I think one thing that you had mentioned that really stuck a chord with me is, you know, just doing therapy or just accessing these resources online, like they're just not adequate. It's not the same. But I totally know what you mean with just waiting like these extensively long you know like eight months that's mind-boggling and with someone who's like actively fighting an eating disorder I can't even imagine eight months may seem like you know feel like years you know um and you know for our listeners who are not in Canada Canada is completely underfunded for mental health treatment but specifically eating disorders we know that eating disorders are, is the top deadliest mental illness out there. And there's just, there's not enough as it is, right? So it just breaks my heart to hear that. And, you know, like, I'm sorry. Um, I wish there was more out there. Um, what you had mentioned just in terms of accessing these resources, I guess, what has your mental health journey with eating disorders looked like? Is this a new battle you're fighting? Is this a battle you've been fighting for quite some time? Yeah, so it's been something that started when I was in high school, or at least it wasn't quite as severe when it started, but I started dieting when I was 17 and now I'm 25. So it's been an eight year long process and it's still not over. So when I was in high school, I was 17. I was never overweight, but I was very insecure. And so going into my grade 12 year, I wanted to look hot for prom. (laughs) So I said, you know what, I'm going to start working out. I'm going to start eating a little bit better. And so it started and I started feeling better. I started getting all the compliments. And before I knew it, I was developing these very rigid food rules. You know, like I was saying, I can't have any sweets ever. Uh, I can't go a day without a workout. And it got to a point where I would have brutal anxiety attacks if I was faced with a birthday cake at an event or if something got in the way of me getting to the gym. And it got worse the year after when I started university because I was living on my own. I went to McMaster and I no longer had my mom cooking for me and keeping tabs on me, making sure I was eating. It was just me living on my own. I had full access to the school gym so I could go work out anytime for as long as I wanted. And if I chose to skip meals, I had no one holding me accountable. And so that's when it really started getting severe and it's just been getting slowly and progressively worse since then. I found it hard at university too when I went for my first two years and I mean I didn't have to deal with the eating disorder part. I did have some anxiety um, going on and it was it was just like I found it to be the transition from high school to university to be quite hard and now that I look through the lens of many years lived <laughs> since the university um, I do I do look back and I realize there are so many things that were wrong and I should have picked up as little red flags uh, like I just remember getting stressed out in a class and going to a vending machine and picking up a candy bar and that was my solution right because it was like right away it was it was just available and and now that I think back how many candy bars I had that should have been like a little scream for help saying hey you're not just hungry there is something more going on right it's just like that instant sugar rush that I needed and yeah so it's the transitions are hard but that's where they start like those little things right and then they add up um and I I lived with my parents uh, at the time when I went to university 
And still, there was still so much time on my own that they didn't keep tabs on me. So I can't imagine, um, you know, how hard it would be if you're just doing the whole thing on your own and what you're capable of, like if you're controlling your own self. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing that was difficult was it slowly became a part of my identity, which made it even more difficult to break. It's like I was that girl who was at the gym every day. I was so consistent. I was the girl who ate clean, who, you know, looked healthy on the outside, but was really, really sick on the inside. And that just became part of my identity. And I said, you know what, if I lose this self-control, what's left of me like I don't even know who I am and that's just been recently really difficult to part with because now that it's been eight years I don't really remember living my life without all these food rules and these disordered eating patterns and this excessive focus mm -hmm. on my body weight and shape and I, I don't remember because the last time I was 17 years old it was eight years ago so it's crazy how it becomes a part of you and then the more it becomes a part of you and the more it becomes ingrained in your identity, it's so much harder to just break up with it. That is some truth right there. Like just from what you're saying, I'm getting like, I, I feel it in my heart, honestly, just because I've definitely in high school struggled with disordered eating quite a lot. And it wasn't until I would say two years ago, I was diagnosed with binge eating disorder. Um, but you know, just like other eating disorders out there, um, they're definitely underfunded in Calgary, but a lot of, for example, you know, a lot of the resources that are catered to eating disorder, there are not enough studies done on binge eating disorder. So it's, it's the support also isn't there. But yeah, thinking back, I guess, to like my experience as well, it did definitely start from that transition to, I think it was like grade 10 in high school. And then it definitely got worse when I was in university. I was also alone. I was away from home. You know, I'm from this small town, but I did go to the University of Windsor, but I was alone with my thoughts, right? And, and that's where it kind of skyrocketed. So just when you're saying that, it, it really hits a chord in my in my heart because I totally like I feel for you and I, I understand what you're saying you know and I'm so sorry that you had to go through that like I literally know how much it sucks to live with this terrible terrible relationship with food and I think it's actually really interesting that you brought up binge eating disorder because people mm. always seem to assume that eating disorders have a look you know it's that skinny white girl you're not skinny there's no way you have an eating disorder, but the fact of the matter is that only a very small percentage of people struggling with an eating disorder are clinically underweight. The vast majority of people totally. are either at their normal weight or overweight. So I just hate that there's such a stereotype where people look at a girl and go, no, you don't have an eating disorder. You're not underweight. It's not, it's not about your physical right? appearance. It's about what's going on in your mind and how you view your relationship with your body and your food. So I think it's important to really speak to that as well is that eating disorders don't have one solid look. It can literally affect anybody and you just don't know. One thing I think that kind of stuck out to me when you were doing your introduction, you had mentioned that you are a naturopathic medical student right now and congratulations, that's such an accomplishment. Yeah, no, that's amazing. Did, you know, did your mental health struggles really influence you going this route with your career or did you want to touch a little bit upon that? Yeah, so I've always known I wanted to be in the healthcare industry because mm -hmm. I just love helping people and I always loved science and math. So mm -hmm. I was definitely the calculus geek growing up. I loved all my sciences in university. I did my undergrad in biochemistry. And so I always kind of knew I wanted to go into medicine, but it wasn't until literally a couple years ago, because I only started my program last year, that I decided to go with naturopathic medicine because I strongly believe in a natural holistic approach to health. Mm -hmm. um, nothing against pharmaceuticals. I think a lot of people assume that naturopathic doctors are just against pharmaceuticals and pills. Absolutely not. Every mm -hmm. module has a place in treating mental health and other illnesses. But I just love the holistic approach mm -hmm. and how there is so much focus on 
the patient. When I first met my naturopath, we had like a one hour conversation and I just spoke to her like she was my therapist and she listened and she went through every detail of my life to figure out what the best intervention would be for me. Always starting with natural um, interventions. And I just love that. I love the way I was treated. And I still don't even know that much about naturopathic medicine. I mean, I just finished first year, but I feel like I just barely scratched the surface. And I'm just so excited to keep learning more. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Um, I haven't myself been to a naturopath, but I do understand what you're saying about the holistic approach. Um, because I like dealing with anxiety myself. You know, I've it wasn't it's not like a major thing, but I have had periods where my panic attacks were getting really bad so you know little things like food and working out and all that stuff wasn't helping so it got to the point where I had to get and like just seeing a psychologist wasn't helping so I had to get to the point where I had a conversation with my doctor and he said okay do you feel like it's time for some medication and I was like yeah it's it's time it's starting to really cut into my life like that's the thing that's what it feels like it's like a wedge that's getting in between living and not living right Mm -hmm. so um yeah there is definitely a line and it's nice that some people can see it that you can be doing all these different things but at some point you might need medical intervention or you might not like it it's so different it varies so much from person to person um so like you you definitely talk about a lot of this stuff on your social media um and i don't think you recommend anything specific you're just sharing your journey and how how do people respond um to you sharing your journey and what you're going through um and how much information you give them about your journey i guess because you're definitely an influencer it's very obvious and i'm so glad that natasha introduced me to your your page because there's so much good information oh my god thank you um so yeah i sort of made the decision in late 2020, I guess, to start being a little bit more open about my mental health struggles, because my biggest rule for myself on social media, on my Instagram platform, is to just keep it real. And I've had my hashtag trending real talk with Re, and that's what I'm all about. I am so sick of seeing all these influencers who just post highlight reels and perfect lives. I felt I have fallen, and I still continue to fall into the comparison trap where I look and go, damn, I should be doing a whole lot better than I am right now because look at her, look at her, look at her. And I started realizing, you know what? That's not realistic. I imagine so many more people could relate to the struggles than to the highlight reel. And so I said, because I want to be so transparent and a huge part of my life right now is surrounding my mental illness recovery. I just said, you know what? I have to be open. Um, So I started and I'm so blessed to say that I have had an enormous amount of encouragement and support um, ever since I started talking about it, there have been, I could literally count on one hand the number of rude comments I've gotten. They have been so rare. And I'm just so grateful for that because people can be mean, especially on social media. When you're behind a screen, you can attack, take down anyone you want without a consequence. So for me, I kind of knew, you know what, I was making myself vulnerable to criticism. But for the most part, it's just been so many people in my inbox saying, hey, I used to have an eating disorder too. Thank you for speaking on this. Or saying, hey, I think I might have an eating disorder. How did you first get help? And I'm by no means a medical professional, but I can totally share the resources I've accessed, what I found helpful. And it's just brought a whole new following um, to my platform. And I just love it because... I love nothing more than to add value to people's lives. And if talking about my struggles is helping someone else, it's totally worth it for me. Thank you so much for that. That's totally enlightening. One thing that I had noticed when I was going through your profile is um, your talk about cryptocurrency. And as someone who absolutely knows nothing about cryptocurrency, you know, I hear it and like the media now, and I'm like, I always, you know, I always tell myself I'll look into it and I just never really do. Um, So you talk about it, uh, about that a lot. And I think it's completely fascinating how you find financial comfort and stability in this in such a modern world, in such a modern financial avenue. So how do you think this knowledge has improved your life? Yeah, I'm just, I'm really curious about that. 
Yeah, so starting three years ago, I got really interested in having multiple streams of income. And so I've had numerous side hustles um, online. I've been in direct sales, network marketing. More recently, I started investing into cryptocurrency. And the reason I started is for my mental health, because a huge fear of mine has always been, what if I can't finish my degree? because my mental health is so bad. What if I can't hold down a job? What if there are days where I cannot go into work because my mental health is so bad? Well, then I'm not gonna have a paycheck. Mm -hmm. So how else am I supposed to have financial security? Well, working from your phone, you can literally do it from bed. And so I thought, you know what? I'm on social media every day anyway. It's an extra stream of income, why not? And so I've done a whole lot of different things, kind of trying to figure out what I felt aligned with. So mm -hmm. now I'm currently investing into cryptocurrency, which trust me, I was scared crapless <laughs> of it because I still don't fully, <laughs> like totally, I just kind of heard about it and it was like trending and I'm like, okay, what is cryptocurrency? I had heard of Bitcoin and how it's worth so much now, but I didn't know anything else. So um, I invested into a couple of different crypto coins and now I'm just kind of letting my money sit and grow um, as the value of the coins grow. So that's been pretty cool. And as of Tuesday, so I guess a couple days from today, I am officially launching or joining a new network marketing company. So that is something I'm super excited about too. And I'm just so excited to continue kind of speaking out on my platform, but making sure that it's a healthy balance between, you know, marketing, being myself. I am so against a lot of those people in direct sales who are just, they become posters for their products and they just become obsessed with selling and making sales and turning their followers into money markets and that is so not me so i'm just excited for this kind of new chapter and to just do business a little bit differently awesome i think one thing that kind of struck out just from you know from sharing your story and just talking to me about cryptocurrency you have so much going on with being a student full-time to investing in cryptocurrency to you know, being a mental health advocate to having your own network marketing. So how do you balance all of this? I don't know if there is such a thing as balance. If anyone knows, please let me know because I'm still trying to learn. Um, it's definitely overwhelming at times. Like sometimes I look and go, oh my goodness, I have been off way more than I can chew. How am I supposed to wear all of these different hats <laughs> while still taking care of my mental health, you know? So I've found it very important and therapy has helped me a lot with this, but just to set boundaries healthy boundaries and being okay with saying no to things. I grew up being a people pleaser. And so whenever someone asked a favor of me, it would be a yes, hands down. I was your yes girl all the time, but that was just running me ragged. And I was running on nothing. I was constantly burned out. I was not sleeping well. I was not eating well. My mental health was getting worse and my life was just like out of control. And still there are days where it's like that, but I kind of decided, okay, each morning I'm going to wake up and I make a to-do list of five important things and I try to get those done. If I don't, that's okay, but try to get at least those five tasks done. And then if I have time for more, great. But it's really been about getting organized and deciding what my priorities are for the day instead of just waking up going, oh my God, there's so much to do and just cracking under the pressure. So it's definitely been a lot of boundary setting and a lot of prioritizing what really needs to be done and taking it literally day by day. Yeah, I was just going to ask you, how do you manage to do all of this? I mean, I am pretty busy with my life too, but some days it's just a lot. And I have two little kids too, so that keeps me, that keeps me very busy. But it's it's exactly like how do you start your day so you you know you know you've gotten through everything and that's a great example just writing down five things I feel like there's so many people out there on the web that give you tips to do it but it doesn't work for everyone right you have to find the right thing that works for you so it's glad it's, it's yeah yeah so it's it's really great that you shared that with us you know so write down five things and the most important thing is if you don't get them done don't get discouraged you just start fresh the next day exactly i mean i definitely had to learn to give myself a lot of grace because i am a perfectionist and i want to do it all and i want to do it all 
really well, like better than anyone else. Like when I start something, I can't just be okay at it. I have to be the best. And that's all in the perfectionism mindset. So that's definitely been something that I've struggled with because even on the days where I know I'm not going to get all my tasks done, there's always that voice at the back of my head going, you failed. Like, what are you doing? Like today was a total write-off <laughs> and I would just crap on myself. So it's been a lot of really understanding how I'm speaking to myself because how you speak to yourself is so freaking important. If you're constantly bullying yourself, no wonder you're not living a happy life or being productive and getting things done. So it's been a lot of grace and <laughs> saying, you know what? Exactly as you said, Dar, if you don't finish it all in one day, that's okay. Tomorrow's a fresh day to get it done too. So I love that. Talking about how you speak to yourself, I've read a, a, an old Japanese samurai proverb that says, do not speak bad of yourself for the warrior within hears your words and is lessened by them. And that just really struck a chord with Oh my God, I love that. Yeah, isn't it? Such a, such a good little saying. It's just so empowering because you're like, it says that you're already a warrior, which is, I think, great. So like, don't lessen yourself because you can fight fight your battles as long as you're not putting yourself down something that i think it was a podcast i was listening to but said at the end of the day you always will have yourself you're born for the days you will always have yourself so make that your best relationship right with other people relationships can fall apart they can come together you can get a break from them and just kind of remove yourself but you are always with yourself like you are stuck <laughs> so if your relationship with yourself is terrible I mean, that's going to be the root of a lot of the unhappiness in your life. So I figure the best thing you can really do is start nurturing that relationship with yourself and then everything will fall into place the way it's supposed to. Totally. And I think um, one thing that you had mentioned that really stuck with me too is about retraining the way that you're thinking, right? Because I think naturally in innate, we all have irrational trains of thoughts that we have, right? Some people can give it less thought than others, but we tend to all have certain trains of thoughts that are completely irrational. And it's all about giving that the time of day. And sometimes it's all about just retraining the way that you think about yourself, right? I think sometimes that line between rational thinking and irrational thinking can just blur. And even if it blurs a little bit, everything is chaos, right? So it's all about having that plan of action that you were saying. I really like how you start your day and it really made me think about how I start my day and how I think it needs to be a little bit more structured because I think you're setting yourself up for success and I think when I think about my day I think that I tend to like my day starts off and I'm like overthinking right so I think I'll I'll try to make it a little bit more structured at the beginning of the day. I'm learning from you <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong, there are days where I wake up at noon and I'm right. like, oh my God, what happened? Where's my day gone? It's noon, it's one o'clock, I'm just waking up. We all have those days, so I am by no means perfect. <laughs> like, like you said, it's all about giving yourself grace. I think especially as we're all on like mental health journeys, you know, our mental health journey in itself is not linear. Like I think about to maybe like last year and how the state of my mental health was at that point and how it is now and how and I know like it's completely not linear so it really truly is about giving yourself grace but it's about learning how to give yourself grace because you can totally tell you know you can tell yourself hey you know what like today's gonna be an okay day you're you know you're doing what you can but you know I think the perfectionism in me also speaks at the end of the day and I you know, I give myself more heck than I should. And I think telling yourself at the end of the day that, you know, you're going to give yourself grace, but actually doing it is a whole different ball game. And it's all about that self-love journey that like easier said than done for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Another thing I just thought of this hack, but it's something that I do if I'm kind of speaking negatively to myself or just judging myself negatively in any way, I picture a big red stop sign in my head. <laughs> I know it's so weird, but then it just kind of tells me stop, like end the conversation, go do something else. This is not serving you. So oftentimes uh, when I was in, when I was doing some inpatient therapy a few years back, they had asked me, Natasha, like, what is your flow state? Like what truly drives flow, right? So yeah, what is that state that you're in when you're you're doing something and you're you're completely in that flow state? And you know, it just really made me, I think, 
think at that point in time, because at that point in time, I was in complete chaos, to be honest. And I really asked myself and I was like, yeah, when was the last time, when was I in flow? Because I can't even completely remember, right? Like I was truly at a disconnect with myself, right? So it's, it's really important to keep in mind, but I guess, you know, for you, Ariana, like what is your flow state? Where are you most at flow? What drives you? I mean, I guess I'm most at flow when I know I'm impacting lives in a positive way. At the end of the day, I just love serving people. I love putting out value and social media is just an amazing platform to reach a lot of people really quickly. So I always find myself in a flow state when I'm either outside the sunshine totally my thing <laughs> or if it's too cold outside because Toronto and Canada in general gets pretty cold sometimes well it was snowing three days ago I don't even know what that's about <laughs> so on days like that I also just like being in my room I got some mood lighting and a diffuser going off with the essential oils I have my music playing and I'm literally just creating content or responding to my messages um making reels. I've been having a lot of fun with Instagram reels lately and just really creating content or even just going live and talking about what's on my heart. You know, if it's a message I need to pour into people or if it's something about my mental health journey, I just love having those raw, real conversations with my audience and just putting good value into the social media space. And I think this is how we feel too. This is one of the reasons why we started this podcast in the first place is to share stories, our own stories, as well as stories like yours, uh, because we've had a lot of conversation over the last year and a half about mental health and we're all in different stages, but we're all kind of struggling with it. And of course, then you put the pandemic on top of it. So looking um, at mental health through the lens of the pandemic is very different. I myself really like the fact that so much attention has been brought to it because of the pandemic and how people are kind of dealing with it or not dealing with it. Um, but at the same time, it like shows all the cracks, right? Where people are falling through the cracks, where there is need, need for more, uh, not just to like communicate and engage, but also like those resources that you were talking about. And that's why I asked, like, what are the resources for you? For some people, it's just finding friends during the pandemic and having these raw open conversations. This is one of the reasons why we decided to name our podcast, I Can't Even, with Nat and Dar, because you know those days when you say, I can't even, and that's all you got. Like, you cannot deal with the day or the situation. I don't want to deal with this. I don't want to think about it. I want to yeah. just go to sleep and I want to lay in my covers. Yeah. And- so how, how do we get rid of that tea at the end, right? How do we take what we're learning from the day or how we feel in the morning or whatever the issue is and how do we change it into something that's doable and something where we can see progress and something that we can like figure out by ourselves or with other people's help like yourself that is what we want to do and yeah it's all about creating that community I think at the end of the day you know Dara and I we met through um, a book club an online book club through a Calgary-based community um and it was a really beautiful experience and we were reading it, it was a, a personal development book it really uh forced us to look inward to what we we're currently like just our relationships in general what was dead weight what were things you want to internally work on all of these really important things and we had really raw conversations that forced us to look inward to ourselves I mean, like we talked about afterwards how even a year and a half later we all stayed in touch and we stayed in touch because not only was the community so strong we felt supported between our community so now it's all about building a community as we're all going on these struggles as we're all in these mental health struggles together Um, but at the same time it is all about reframing the current mindset I think we're all stuck in because of the pandemic, because of the chaos in our lives, because of everything going on in our life, because we know that mental health struggle is, it's not linear, right? It's different. It's a roller coaster. It's all about a journey of reframing your thoughts. I actually love, and that's what I loved about your podcast, the whole vibe. If there are not enough real conversations going on about the things that matter. And I think it's definitely hard for us being in Canada, being in lockdown, because if you're on social media, you might have friends in the states who have not been in lockdown for months and you know they could go out live their lives pretty much normally and we're here like i can't even get my hair cut you know so 
that is definitely hard. And so I right. found that actually speaking out on mental health has been very therapeutic and just meeting women like you who are also on their own journeys. And just that connection in and of itself is so powerful. And knowing that you're not alone, mm -hmm. you're not struggling alone. Someone's journey might not be identical to yours, but they're still struggling with you, you know? And I think that's such a powerful connection to have. And I'm just so grateful for you guys. Thank you, you too. And I think one thing that uh, Dar and I had talked about previously is the doom scrolling that like the pandemic has caused just on social media in itself. Like I tend to wake up and I was doing this way more before and I've kindly thankfully gotten out of it. But I would wake up in the way I'd start my day was just scroll, scroll through yeah. social media. Endlessly posts that I've seen at least like 15 times, still looking at them over and over again because I'm bored and and then just looking onto the news over and over again, just saying like, when we'll be out of this pandemic and just that constant doom scrolling. And I think, have you had experience with that during the pandemic in general? And how has that contributed to the, your mental health? Because I know it really caused some chaos in my life. Oh, absolutely. I actually love that you call it uh, doom scrolling. I always call it scrolling <laughs> syndrome, but you know, either way, I so I definitely have suffered from that. And exactly like you said, there are days where the first thing I do before even getting out of bed, I grab my phone and I start scrolling my feed, you know? And a lot of the times you're looking at content that probably is not serving you. So a big thing that I did a couple weeks ago, I did a mass unfollowing. I unfollowed anyone who made me feel less than and who was kind of living their best life. It's like nothing personal, but you're putting me in a bad mental space. So I cannot be consuming your content. Um, so I would say do a social media detox. Like if you need to mm -hmm. curate your feed for it to be people that bring you joy and inspiration, do it. I got sick of seeing so many highlight reels and instead I've started following mental health advocates, body positive influencers, people who just keep it real because that's how I aspire to be on my platform as well. So mm -hmm. I think that then when you are scrolling and it's content that's actually not harmful to you, you notice a huge shift in your mindset. So that's been my biggest tip. I honestly, just last week, I deleted all social media apps on my phone. I was kind of just, I told myself, like I kept Messenger because I, I tend to communicate with people um, that way, but I deleted Instagram, I deleted Twitter, I deleted Facebook, just because I truly could not deal with it because not only was it uh, I noticed when I was bored, however, when I'd be sitting down and I had a list of things that I needed to get done, I found myself procrastinating and just spending all of my time on social media when I had no time to be doing that. So I deleted it. I, you know, said good riddance. Let's see how long that lasts. Um, so I honestly, the difference is astounding already. And it's been a week. I find that Brain, brain fog that I've had has slowly started to dim away. So we'll see what it brings me. But yeah, no, I, I definitely use, um, I think it as a coping mechanism of just like scrolling through. I needed my numbing content just to kind of silence or like not to be alone with my thoughts. So I totally get what you're saying with that for sure. And it's definitely a very fine line. I mean, there are days where I go, I want to delete everything, but my business is on there, right? So it's like, yeah. how do you find that balance between not having to completely ditch the social media, but not letting it be you on your phone for 10 hours a day, right? So it's right. such it's such a fine line and I'm still trying to figure it out because there are days where I am glued to my phone and I don't even realize it. I just go, holy crap, there went two hours. What did I do? Nothing. <laughs> like I, I filled my mind with garbage. So it's definitely mm -hmm. a balance I'm always trying to get better at finding. Yeah. Um, but I just want to say kudos to you, girl, for actually sticking through it for a <laughs> week. Like, I honestly don't think I'd last more than a day, like being totally honest. Like, that's crazy. <laughs> it just really showcased how addicted I was to my phone. And like, I don't use that term lightly. Um, I like my first degree was in English literature. I love to read. That's kind of what I would do and I would grab a book from my bookshelf in all honesty I would pull it out open it to where I left off and then my phone would go off and I would forget for like an hour that I even had a book next to me <laughs> and I, I kid you not it would just be like that but worse and I would spend hours on my phone and it's not all social media a lot of it is but I would be 
looking at articles, reading the news, but it would consume my day. And because of the state of the world we're in, where it's just like everything was pandemic and in the States at the time, Donald Trump, whatever, uh, that would, that was what I was exposing my, the energy that I was exposing myself to on a constant. And it took so much out of me. Like it, it just really shocked me how much time I was, you know, and even at work, like I, w- I would work, but on my break, the first thing I would do is pull up my phone and go on Instagram. And it was just too much. I said, you know what? I, I physically and mentally can't do this to myself anymore. And I just got rid of it because I said, you know what? I just, I need that break. And I'm sure probably a week from now, I'll, I'll have my apps downloaded again and I'll be just actively scrolling. But for the time being, I, I mentally can't handle it. So. And so if we go back to talking about doom scrolling mm-hmm. and just like wasting time on social media, um, that it's it becomes like a mental issue. Like we get, we log on to get that shot of dopamine, right? To, to like see something positive or see something fun or see a cat video, whatever it is. So we're also rewiring, right? Yeah, we're like rewiring our brain to get this hit really fast. So how do we, um, like from the mental health point of view, how do we not only prevent it, but in the future, like how do we start working on it now? How do we prevent prevent this becoming an issue later, not only in our lives, but because um, it's it's kind of like having an issue with eating, right? A little bit, you can relate that it's, you're consuming, it's different type of consumption, but you're still consuming something to make yourself feel better. Um, I mean, I don't have that many followers on my Instagram, so it's not like I'm on it all the time. Um, but I see both sides, like the positive is a negative. I feel like especially during pandemic, being able to go digital and being able to connect with people through social media has made such a big impact on my life in a positive way. Yeah, I get rid of all the negative Nellies and bombarded with like I try to stay away from that. But for myself, it's been great. I met people like uh, Natasha. I've met people like you, Ariana, obviously, like it's just it's been it's been an important part of my journey into self-development and into keeping myself mentally healthier than I would have been if I would have no connections during the pandemic. Um, So, you know, both, both sides, but how do we make sure that we stay on that path and make sure that we only get the positive out of it? What, what do you think, Ariana? I mean, I love that question. I wish I had the answer because I feel like we would then be able to change a lot of lives. But I definitely think social media addiction is a real thing. You know, just like you were saying, I love the analogy that you did with food because you are still consuming content to numb something inside of you or to get that instant gratification, that dopamine hit, whatever it is. And I'm actually curious to see like how social media usage has changed throughout the pandemic. And if like, I I wish, I hope there's a study done just so we could see the impact that a pandemic has had on social media consumption. But for me, what I had to start doing was setting timers on my phone because it would be too easy for me to sit there and completely lose track of time because I was watching TikToks or whatever it was. So I will literally sit down and set a 15 minute timer when it goes off, I know, phone down, go outside, go do something else. And that has been working pretty well for me. I mean, I still sometimes hush the alarm and then go on for another five or 10 minutes, but it's definitely made me more aware of how quickly time passes while I'm scrolling. So I would definitely recommend the timers, set a timer or a time that you think is, I don't know, appropriate to be on social media. And then once you're done, put the phone down, put it on silent and go outside, do something, do anything. Just do not continue scrolling. This is actually a perfect explanation. So you're saying in the timer, so if we go back to food, it's like, you know, if you're eating out and you just buy whatever and you eat it wherever you are, it's not the same if you bring the same food to your house and put it on your plate, because once you see it on your own plate, you're like, well, this is way, way more than you actually need. Um, So timers in that case are just kind of like that, right? You limit yourself to whatever you need to to fulfill yourself, but you're not going overboard, right? You don't get that extra ice cream and that extra whatever and that extra...
my god. I definitely, <laughs> I've had, you know, those uh, on your phone, the tracking, where it tracks how long you spend on your phone. I get these notifications daily, and I get triggered every time I see them. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my goodness, how do I turn this notification off? And I couldn't figure it out, and I keep getting these notifications of how much time I'm spending on like either on social media or reading news articles or on, you know, YouTube or and it's just so mind boggling, but that's definitely the timer is a really good thing. I think I just sometimes need that snap back to reality. And I think that a timer would allow me to just have that snap back to reality in order to focus on like what I need to do next. So that's definitely an awesome strategy. I'll be sure to use that for myself. Um, I think just in terms of, you know, the rise of social media, I think even before the pandemic is, I think, super important to touch upon, um, you know, like we have kids now who I think, for example, like are in high school or, you know, the young influencers now that have, you know, that rising career just from TikTok alone. And, you know, this rise of social media has been happening well before the pandemic. And it definitely has had an impact on the way we see ourselves. Um, and you know, what was that like? For well, you I think that just what's more living in an age where the yeah, that rise of social media, media happened quickly and it the happened number of filters and it's that are out there quite overwhelming. And, as young as and yeah, like, what was that like Instagram for you? And how did that have an impact and having on your a completely incorrect health? perception of what beauty is? And that's something I still struggle with. Like sometimes I'll look. And I'll put a filter on and go, oh my God, I look so much better. I could use a nose job. Oh, maybe a lip job, maybe Botox all the way down in my ass. I don't know. But it kind of makes you think like, am I, am I not pretty enough? And you start judging yourself and going, yeah, maybe I can get some work done. And that's an internal dialogue I always struggle with. And I personally do not have the confidence yet to go on completely filterless on social media, which frustrates me because... Like that shouldn't be a thing. Like this is how we look. We're beautiful. Just go do your mm. thing. But there is such a pressure to look so perfect, so put together and keep up with the trends that you want to have a filter and look perfect like every other influencer on there. So I think that's definitely an issue, especially the filters that fully distort your face. Like there are some crazy ones out there and people just slowly rely on those and then they start wanting to look like that and i think that's just so damaging to self-esteem and especially when you're so young and you're getting exposure to this unrealistic beauty standard from such a young age you are raised to believe that that's the way you have to look 100 percent for sure it definitely contributes to body dysmorphia and yeah no i think just that alone what you said there's so much truth behind it i think it also translates outside of this social media realm where like oftentimes like for sure filter um you know um i struggle with like not putting filters or just editing a picture like a certain way but even now when i go out to see friends if i'm just like in sweats or like you know a shirt and no makeup i apologize to my friends i'm like you know what i'm sorry for looking this way and then you stop and think and you're like what, like my brain is programmed this way now, you know, and it really makes you stop to think. Yeah, it's like, sorry, I'm not wearing a filter. <laughs> my apologies. And the thing that's interesting too about that is I always get stressed out when I meet someone who's only ever seen me on social media because I'm like, am I a catfish? Like, am right? I an actual catfish right now? Are they going to see me and go, whoa, you do not look like that on social media. And that's like my worst nightmare because I don't want to look like two different people. Um, so that's definitely like the fear of catfishing is a real thing. <laughs> that's, that's I think people understand that though. Like I think people that use the social media to get inspiration and to learn something and use it for personal growth and instead of just showing off um i think they really do understand that you know you're it is like they're both sides of that same coin right there are days that you just really want to share what you have to say it doesn't matter how you look and then some days you just want to look better or feel better and um, present yourself in a certain light or a certain color, like whatever it is, right? So it's, it's. Um, <laughs> I mean, I love and hate filters, just like I love and hate social media. There's 
there's good things and bad things about it. Um, you did have a story, Oriana, a couple of, I think it's a couple of, it's been a couple of weeks now, but you were talking specifically about weight and, uh, I'm not gonna, I don't remember exactly what you said. Cause it was just like a story on your Instagram page. Um, but you were saying like, that's, you know, people look at you and they think you look perfect, but then to yourself, you don't feel maybe like you are in that space. Um, and that, that changes day to day and based on however else you feel. Right. Um, and I, I totally understand because I used to be like a really skinny teen, um, just genetics for me. So I was, I was pretty good, but then, you know, I looked at my parents and I was like, okay, I'm not going to stay the skinny teen forever. Uh, and of course my really late puberty hit and then I wasn't anymore, but I just remember when people were saying, you know, Oh, you're so skinny. You should model. And I did for a very short period of time. But I also remember pe people saying like, I was like 110 pounds myself at that time, long time ago. Um, and, and the modeling agency was saying how I'm getting a little on the bigger side. And that just blew oh, my, my mind. God. Like it just blew my mind. Um, I was already thinking that I was for my height. I already felt like I was too skinny. Like I didn't, I was supposed to be turning into this beautiful young lady. And I was still like this gangly teenager. Natasha can't say I am no longer a gangly teenager. Like there is, there is so much of me. <laughs> and that's um, totally not a bad thing. I no. Mean, for me, what I hate is that people equate skinniness with happiness. Yeah. And that is bullshit. I mean, excuse my language, but it is so not true. Um, with me personally, as I've been losing more and more weight, I can honestly say my self-esteem has not increased one bit. My happiness has not increased one bit. If anything, I feel worse and worse about myself because I struggle with having energy to even walk up a flight of stairs. I struggle with being dizzy and nauseous all the time and all of these things that just really ruin my quality of living. And for what? Because you're skinny? Mm. Like, <laughs> it's just not worth it. And I wish I could drive that into every little girl's brain to just stay away from diet culture as much as you can because what can start off is so innocent like yeah. cutting out some carbs it can turn into a very real eating disorder that can last for the rest of your life and can even take your life so being skinny isn't shit i just really want to be clear about that and by no means does losing weight make you feel better about yourself. Mm -hmm. If anything, it turns into a competition. It's like, okay, I lost this much weight. How much further can I go? And it becomes this sick, twisted competition with yourself where you're never happy. Even if you tell yourself, once I hit this weight, I'll be happy. I promise you, you still won't be happy at that weight. Mm -hmm. You'll want to lose more. And you're just gonna keep riding that hamster wheel and being miserable because you're not fueling your body properly. You're deteriorating instead of thriving. and it's just not worth living that way. I promise you. No, totally. And, and you know what? Thank you for, you know, touching upon your story and your mental health journey and, you know, the way it shaped and, and changed during the pandemic, but how it even started before then. Um, I'm just curious in terms of, you had mentioned at the beginning of your podcast that, you know, you're still, um, you know, you're still trying to overcome um, you know, your eating disorder. And I'm just like, curious, um, you know, how you're doing now. I know you briefly touched upon it before, but, um, you know, how are you doing now? Not very well at all. I mean, I hate to say it and I like being as optimistic as possible, but I'm I feel like I'm deteriorating more and more each day um, just because of the lack of resources. And it's really scary because I know my family sees me shrinking and shrinking, not eating enough, being pretty much a prisoner to a lot of my eating disorder symptoms. And, you know, it's hard sometimes to even get a good couple of hours that are symptom free in a day. And it's hard because then you look at it and go, oh my God, I'm 25. I have so much life ahead of me, but I cannot have a single good day without symptoms or without talking crap about my body or, you know, wishing I was smaller. And it's just, it's, it's brutal. And 
I try to keep myself occupied as much as I can by, you know, reading, doing personal development podcasts and all of the things. But the fact of the matter is, you know, the disorder is not getting any better. If anything, it's getting worse, especially as the pandemic keeps going on and the wait list just keep getting longer. So I feel like I'm on my own for now. And when you feel like you're at rock bottom and you feel like you're alone, it's really scary. So I literally just try to take it one day at a time and be happy even if I do get those two or three good hours in a day without symptoms, you know? So you gotta, you just gotta push through until the help is finally made available. Yeah, for sure. And the reason why I was um, asking that again is I know you are um, trying to raise funds for treatment currently, right? And so um, I guess it goes to show how with them publicly, there's not much out there, right? So, um, and, and just to get that treatment or just the wait times are excruciating long, right? And uh, it's almost unbearable to the point that like you, you can't afford to wait that long, right? So I think, um, yeah, if you wanted to just explain to your listeners, I guess the importance of what I'm assuming is raising funds for privatized services, correct? Yeah, so that's kind of the struggle I've been facing. It's either you can get free services, but you're on that wait list for eight months minimum. And as you said, Natasha, you don't always have eight mm -hmm. months to keep deteriorating. Like there does get a point where your body says, I've had enough mm -hmm. um, and it's just gonna start failing wow. you, you know? So not everyone has that time. So the other option is always, um, private care, but that comes with a cost. In Canada, a lot of it is, for the most part, not covered by insurance. So you are paying out of pocket minimum $60,000 for programs that are even six weeks long. So that's $10,000 a week. And I mean, I just don't have that kind of money. And I don't think the average household in Canada does. So that's what kind of made me start a GoFundMe because I really need help raising those funds so I could hopefully get treatment before I'm waiting eight more months, you know, before I'm deteriorating even more. Like, I don't want to see how bad it can get, <laughs> trust me. Um, so as uncomfortable as it was, because obviously it's a little bit awkward being like, hey, donate to my fundraiser so I can live, you know, like it's definitely, it's awkward. Um, but I, at the end of the day, I'm just trying to save my own life and advocate so that I can get better and keep working towards raising more awareness for eating disorders and helping more people because there just is not enough awareness. For sure. He showcases how expensive treatment can be. I attended um, Homewood Health Center back in 2015. And oh, was it 2015 or 15? It was 2015. And um, my goodness, I did their IMAP program, which was um, three months long, two and a half to three months long, and it focused on depression um, and anxiety and just mental illness in general and integrating that, um, balancing that into your life. Thankfully, that was covered under insurance. However, um, over the course of this year, especially with the pandemic, I was definitely regressing with my mental health. And I looked at their other um, their other locations. They have a location in BC. They have a few other locations. Unfortunately, their other locations were not covered, and I was given a bill of seventy thousand dollars. And I told myself that was obviously something like who could ever afford that? Like, just let me wire you seventy thousand dollars. Just just one second. Let me BRB. Like, yeah, especially when you're a student. It's like, I have tuition to pay. Tuition isn't cheap. <laughs> um, there's tons of living expenses. Like, people don't just have 50, 60, 70, $100,000 casually sitting on the side to use on treatment when you need it. Like, I wish that was the case, but the fact of the matter is that that's not the case. People don't have that kind of money. <laughs> yeah, people don't have that kind of money in it people that do have that kind of money you know that's one thing but yeah like I mean if you can't afford these programs you're you're essentially just laid out you know and it's like sucks for you and it just kind of breaks my heart I think that you know and, and that's just the thing with privatized services but then at the same time with public services we're on these extensive wait lists where you're also kind of in a situation where it's 
the luck of a draw when you'll randomly get a call and you just never know. And it's, it's hard. It's not easy. So um, we'll definitely, you know, thank you so much for sharing your story. Um, we're, we definitely have your uh, GoFundMe link available. It'll be in our bio, in our link tree. So please check it out. If you definitely have, you know, um, any additional funds to contribute, uh, please do that. If you don't, no worries. Please just share it. You know, I think that if, you know, word gets out and you can just share it, that means a lot. I'm sure it means a lot to Oriana. Honestly, sharing is, that's the way things get seen. That's the way awareness is raised, right? And so I always say, do not worry if you don't have the money. A share is worth, it's priceless, you know? So if we can just get the word out, I mean, like that, that just, that's truly what matters. So thank you. Thank you so much. And I hope that this podcast, once it's up and running, um, that a lot of people can do the same thing, you know, listen to it, learn a few things, maybe see some red flags before they're full on, you know, blown issues, especially for people that have little girls at home. I think it's so important um, to see how fast it can actually go down. I mean, we talk about it uh, a little more over the last few years. And and I really hope that once the pandemic is over, that the healthcare focuses more on mental health um, because they will see like in Canada here, we will for sure see how the pandemic affected people and we've already seen the trends you know that people the mental issues are definitely are skyrocketing so it is something that we will all have to deal with not just one-on-one -on -one, but as a society um so i hope there's going to be more attention brought to it and uh yeah and thank you for for sharing your story because i think it'll it'll help you know it one way or another it'll help somebody someone who listens Absolutely. And thank you guys so much for having me and just giving me this safe space to really speak about my story. I really, really appreciate you guys. And I had an amazing time. Thank you so much. And definitely keep an eye out for the podcast. It will be launching Monday, which is tomorrow. Um, and yeah, we're so happy. Please share, like, and subscribe. And we'll definitely have Oriana's um, Instagram, um, tagged in our post. Thank you so much.